And if you say that quickly, you get history. History. That's the nature of what history is. It's his story. It's God's story. And it starts with God before all things speaking the creation into existence. And it's very explicit as you read Genesis chapter 1. And God said, and God said, and God said, and God said, God speaks and brings things into existence. Now, my wife, Fiona, she was the one with that rocket launcher. Uh, she's out there with the kids at the moment and they have clay. And they're going to be making some things. And uh, I was talking to her about this yesterday as to how this might be a description of what God does in the creation. And I said to you, what you really should do is don't take any clay. Just say to the kids, let there be clay. And then they can fashion it into something. You see, we're not just talking about a creative being who's able to take raw materials and make them look good. We're talking about a God who speaks and something comes into existence. The beginning of all things finds its origin in the word of God. That's the picture that we have here. And as you read through this uh, account, there's wonderful patterns and, and uh, order and artistry and meaning that flows from all of this. There's enough stuff to have a, a series for a whole term, just digging into Genesis chapter 1. But what we see is that when God makes things, he makes them with order, he makes them with beauty, he makes them with meaning, with purpose. And at the end of nearly all of these days of creation, he says, and it was good. And after the sixth day of creation, and it was very good as he looks at these things. That means that God has made something that is fit for purpose, for his purpose. God is happy with what he has made. God has determined that this is right, it's appropriate, this is the way that it should be. God says it is really, really good. And as we fly over chapter 1 of Genesis and we look at the sequence of things and we look at the pattern and God said and there was and it was so and there was evening and there was morning, there was the fourth day, as we see this pattern our eyes should be on the lookout for anything that might be slightly different. And we come to it in verse 26. In verse 26, there's a departure from the and God said. In verse 26, then God said, let us make man or mankind in our image, in our likeness. When God comes to this creative part of day six, God is in the plural, let us make. It's very stylized, this chapter. Um, it, it's very carefully put together. The patterns occur on each of the days, but on day six, there's a break in the pattern. And I think that tells us something. Let us make man in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the air, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them, male and female he created them. And God blessed them and he said to them, Be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea, the birds in the sky, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. See, in the created order of Genesis chapter 1, 
It's the creation of people that stands out. God has made people unique and different to the rest of his creation. They are made to show his likeness. They're made in God's image. Let us make, God says. Now, what does it mean, let us? Is it the royal we? No, I, I think that what we've got here is the beginning, perhaps a, a window into the reality, a, a hint that God is Father, Son and Spirit. That God is relationship in and of himself. That God is what we call, even though you won't find the work in the Bible, the word in the Bible, Trinity. He's one God in three persons. And we'll see more of this to come. But you see God as Trinity there at the very beginning. In verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the waters. So you've got in the beginning God, you've got the spirit of God. And then in verse 3, and God said, let there be light and you have the word of God. God, spirit, word, one God united together. God communicates by his word and by his spirit. God brings things into existence and the pinnacle of his creation is the creation of people. Mind you, as you read on into Genesis 2, and we haven't read this, in chapter 2 and verse 18, the Lord God said, it is not good for the man to be alone. So in chapter 1, you've got it's good, it's good, it's good, it's good, it's very good. Now something's not good. And in the second um, window into the creation you've got chapter one and then chapter two and they give you different perspectives on the same thing in chapter two we're told that people have been made for relationship with each other we are relational beings as God is a relational God God creates people as special in his creation and what we'll see in the rest of the Bible is is God interacting with the people that are made in his image we're not going to have to read much to discover that things don't look the way they do back in Genesis 1 or Genesis 2, that Genesis 3 brings into a whole uh, frame a very different world, much more like the world that we live in. But that's for next week. Here we are told that God has made people with a unique role, with a special part to play in his world. Now, the danger for us, I think, is to speculate as to what it might mean for us to be in the image of God. And, and the danger is that we can project back from us to God. I, I have a, a good sense of humour. I can, I can tell a pretty fine dad joke. Say, so God must be, uh, he is the father of all fathers. He must have the best dad jokes ever, right? No. I mean, I have an imagination. God must have imagination. I'm able to create and think and now, we don't work from us to God. We work from God to us. And the two things I think that stand out here are his relational being and his responsibility. See, people are made to display his likeness. They, too, are made for relationship. But they're also given a responsibility to take care of the world that God has made. They're to fill the earth and they're to subdue the earth. That is... 
They're to be fruitful and increase in number and they are to look after by ruling over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and every living creature that moves on the ground. And in Genesis chapter 2, we'll see the man and the woman working together to take care of God's garden, naming the animals and in relationship with each other. And at the end of chapter 2, you get the man and his wife who are both naked and they felt no shame. A relationship with each other, which is in perfect harmony. A relationship with God, which is untainted by any selfishness whatsoever. But it's not how we feel now. So let me, um, let, let me pause before we zoom in and consider a couple of things. Because I've given you another map today as well. And the other map is the footer at the base of your handout. Um, and what you'll see with what the children are doing is that they are going to build this banner um, on a great big piece of calico. We are at the first of the images. Um, there you have uh, the man and the woman. I, I think they're both naked. It's a bit unclear from the picture. Uh, but they're in the garden and they're under the authority of God. They're, they're kind of vice regents. They're ruling over the world under God's authority. That's who they are. And you'll see next week, um, as you move on to the next image in the map, that they reject God's authority and there's a serpent there, a snake, and there's a piece of fruit and so on. And, and we'll keep looking at one of these images each week for 10 weeks to get a map of the Bible. But let's look closer at, at a few obvious things. Probably the most obvious thing here that we could easily just skip over is the fact of the creation. Just the fact of creation. Um, there is a God and he created everything in heaven and on earth. Everything that's seen and unseen. Everything that exists in the human realm, in the spiritual realm. Everything around about us, everything within us, all created by God. And there's an absolute distinction between the creator and his creation. Now that marks Christianity out as, and Judaism as different to a number of other religions in the world who have a view of God as kind of being part of the creation. Or in some religions that everything is part of God. It's pantheism. No, the Bible's view is that God is the creator. He makes the creation and God is not part of the creation. He doesn't put a bit of himself in the trees or in the sunsets or in the ocean. They testify to his existence and his marvellous power and, and his incredible beauty and aesthetics, but they're not part of God. We don't believe in, in Mother Nature. No, we believe in God who created all things. There's not a bit of God in everything. But the obvious point then, if you think about God as being the creator, is that everything fundamentally belongs to God. That's kind of the sequitur of this. That is, if God has created everything, then he owns everything. If God has made everything, it belongs to him. That means this world belongs to God. It means, and here it gets personal, it means that I belong to God and you belong to God. We are all part of the creation. And to put that in a, in a fairly crass way, it means that we've been manufactured. Um, we've, we've been created by God for a purpose. 
And there's great delight in understanding that purpose and what it is and being able to live in the light of that purpose. See, I think so often people come a cropper because they try and invent their own purpose. Let me compare a, um, two things, right? An iron and a toaster. Now, if you're going to get it right, then you'll enjoy fresh clothes, neat, looking attractive, and good food. If you get it wrong, I suggest there might be a little bit of damage to that dress when it comes out of the toaster. Um, you'll probably get away with putting the bread on the iron. Maybe you found a double purpose for the iron. In fact, we used to tell people uh, when I was doing university ministry, if they had no money, go to an op shop, get a second-hand iron, get a, a tin of baked beans, and for 50 cents, you'll have a nutritious meal. Put the can on top of the iron, there you've got an entire stove ready to go. But I'm distracted. We've been made for a purpose, and rather than inventing that purpose... We need to understand what it is. Now, Genesis 1 actually tells us a lot about purpose. It tells us that the sun was created for light, that plants were given for food, uh, that people were made for relationship and to rule over God's world. But deeper than all of this, if this is God's and it's been created by him, then I take it it's been made so that we will give glory to the one who made it. And that's exactly what the Bible says in the last book of the Bible, Revelation chapter 4 and verse 11. It says, For you are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they have their existence. See, God is worthy of being treated as God because he's the creator of all. That's what it's saying. And that's where things work well when what's manufactured functions according to the manufacturer's instructions. We also see, as we look closely at Genesis 1 and bit of 2, something of the goodness of creation. We're told again and again that it's good, it's, it's to be enjoyed. And, and as Paul wrote to Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, he said, nothing's to be rejected in creation if it's received with thanksgiving. That is, God has made everything with a purpose. Everything is actually good if it's used according to that purpose. The problem is that we use things not according to their purpose and we make a mess of it. And the whole ecology and, and, and issues around the way we treat our world with pollution and climate change and so on are just the result of, of trying to rule our world without reference to the one who made it. But that's for next week. As you look at the creation, the, the Bible's view of creation being good is it's actually a very distinctive thing. You, you look at some other ancient uh, worldviews, you look at different religions, you look at, um, at, at Greek philosophy that was somehow trying to separate the form and matter from, from the essence of the being. And if you could get just to the essence of the being and get rid of any form or matter, then things were better. That's not the Bible's view. The Bible views us as one, body, soul and spirit, all created by God, all made good to display God's likeness. And God has made the world for us to enjoy. And we live in a part of the world where it's easy to see that, where, where we get the most beautiful sunsets and, and rainbows in the sky and, and, and the beauty of the ocean and national parks nearby and, and the wonder of what God has made is there and visible for us to see. 
the outdoors, the, the um, enjoyment of that, it's really quite extraordinary. And the things that we're able to do with this. See, the, the Bible isn't anti-pleasure. Some people think that God is the great killjoy in the sky. And, and certainly it's true that throughout church history, there have been people who have been ascetics. People who have denied any pleasure, anything that might be comfortable. Anti-hedonists, if you like. Some people who have actually gone and lived in remote places on, on virtually nothing and owned nothing and done nothing. And achieve nothing. But that's not the Bible's perspective. The creation is good. Of course, not all good, and we'll see that next week. The focus of creation, we've seen that the purpose of God's creation focuses in, in day six, on the creation of man, male and female, mankind. And then in chapter two, the second window into the creation it's really all about the man and the woman and, and their rule in the garden and how they look after things and relate to each other and relate to God. God has made people as special. I think probably the most dramatic reminder of this for me in the early years of being a parent was uh, we had two children. Um, they were both under the age of three and we had a young border collie. Um, that wasn't one of our children, by the way, lest you're confused. That was our pet. And uh, the, the border collie was almost uncontrollable, had no sense. Um, that's probably due to our lack of good training. But we pulled over in the car one time on the edge of the highway because the border collie had been jumping around in the back, removed the barrier, and we were concerned about the impact on the children. So I opened up the back of the car um, uh, it was a wagon, lifted it up to fix things up and, and the dog jumped out, ran across the road, bang. 100 k's an hour, border collie hit. And I remember being deeply shocked, but I remember deeply thankful to God that that was not one of our two boys. And that's probably most dramatically made me aware of the difference. Now, Harley, the name of our border collie, uh, had a broken leg and she survived. And the vet was terrific. And she lived for another 15 years until we gave her a leftovers of a pork roast, which you shouldn't do. Um, pancreatitis, they can't process pork fat. So just a little tip there. You didn't know you'd get veterinary tips. Um, let, me, let me read to you a part of the scriptures that talk about the place of, of mankind in the creation. Psalm 8 is a psalm that reflects on the cosmos and particularly the place of people in God's created order. It's like a little commentary on Genesis 1. Listen to this. Lord our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You've set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you've established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. Now listen to this bit. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place... What is mankind that you are mindful of them, human beings that you care for them? Now, I don't know if you've ever had the experience of, of being out on a, on a moonless night, a cloudless night, and looking up at the Milky Way. Uh, it's, it's stunning, isn't it? Apparently, the Warren Bungles are the place closest to us where you'll get the best view of the stars in our galaxy. We feel very small, don't we? alongside that and, and here's the thing 
we, as small as we are, have been created by God to be at the very centre of his creation. When we consider the stars and the size of everything and, and all of this stuff, who are we? Let me give you another perspective on this, one that they could not have known when the scriptures were written. Think about a grain of sand, right? Maybe a millimetre across, something like that. Did you know that there are 43 quintillion atoms in one grain of sand? That's, that, that's a big number, right? It's, it's impossible to even think on that stuff. But let's kind of process this a little bit. Um, scientists reckon that there are 7.5 sextillion grains of sand on Earth. All right, let's keep getting a little big. The, uh, the sun is 109 times the size of the Earth. Did you know that there are estimated 400 billion stars, including our sun, in our galaxy, the Milky Way? And it's estimated that there are over 100 billion galaxies. Now, I, I don't know there'd be too many computers that could handle getting from the numbers of galaxies to the number of atoms in a grain of sand and how many atoms there must be, therefore, in the universe. Absolutely gobsmackingly, incredibly impossible to even talk about. God created the heavens and the earth. God, who's bigger than a billion galaxies, bigger than a hundred billion galaxies, in whatever sense we are to understand big, seeks relationship with human beings made in his image. That's quite extraordinary, isn't it? If you want to find meaning and purpose in life, then looking to God is really the only way. Well, we're going to discover a whole lot more about this as we look on. Um, but the focus of the creation here is that we have been made to have a relationship with our creator. What a privilege that is. And then the means of creation. And God said, ten times we read this, a powerful word. But I want to suggest to you that it's more than a figure of speech. In Psalm 33, if I can find it, we read another commentary on the creation. Let me read to you these words from Psalm 33. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. Their starry host by the breath of his mouth. He gathers the waters of the sea into jars. He puts the deep into storehouses let all the earth fear the Lord. Let all the people of the world revere him. For he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. Now how are we to understand this? God speaking. And, and God's word and God's spirit bringing things into existence from nothing into something. Well, I take it we're to understand it in the light of the rest of the Bible. And without giving the ending away completely, I want to take you to John, one of the Gospels, John chapter 1, 
and verse 1. Don't worry about looking it up, but just listen. Listen for the echoes as I read this. John chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. You get a personification of the Word that is there, that is God, that's with God. Remember we talked about God being relationship in and on himself. That, that the word of God is there at the very beginning and creates all things and nothing was made without him creating them. Who is this word? Well, you read on, you come down to verse 14 and we're told the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us and we've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of grace and truth. If you're unfamiliar with this, then here's the spoiler. That is Jesus. That Jesus wasn't simply a human being born of Virgin Mary. That Jesus was, in fact, with God, the eternal word, creating everything in the very beginning. And so the man who walked on our planet, the man who died on a cross, the man who was raised from the dead, the man who taught about God, and introduced people to how they could be in relationship with God. And the one who made it all possible was the creator. The creator took a step to become part of the creation. Whoa. The one who created hundreds of billions of galaxies comes to planet Earth. Becomes a human being that we might know God and relate to God. This is where we're headed, friends. This story, his story, it's going to take us to the New Testament where we will focus on the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, the resurrection of Jesus and the exaltation of Jesus above all things forever. It's really a story that finds its climax in history 2,000 years ago. And in the whole of this incredible universe locates itself just outside the city of Jerusalem on what we know as Easter Friday. And then on Easter Sunday, he's raised again to life. And because of that, we can be right with God and know God and, and enjoy relationship with God and have meaning and purpose and significance. But you've got to come for the next few weeks to see how that works itself out. Friends, when we open up Genesis chapter 1, it's like reading the preface that outlines the key points that we're going to see worked out. It's like an overture at the beginning of the symphony. It's, I think, I don't know anything about that, but I thought that would sound good. It's, it's, it's like the concrete that you put down to put the bricks on so they'll be straight. It's like that, um, that pilot show from which they work out based on the ratings that it's worth having a whole season. And it shapes everything that's to come. So as you look over Genesis chapters 1 and 2, and I'd encourage you to do that, and I'd encourage you to follow that Bible in 70 plan. Um, my wife and I have been enjoying having um, David Suchet read it to us on the Bible app. 
and that might be um, something that would help you to do it as well. I want to encourage you to come on this flight. It's a lot cheaper than 100 bucks for 10 minutes. Um, and it's a lot more worthwhile. And I want to encourage those of you who are parents to do it with your kids as they do it. Like, interact on it and, and learn together and grow together as you explore these things. Because God's big picture makes sense of our world, of our lives. It gives us purpose, gives us meaning, it gives us hope, it gives us a future. And it all starts and finishes with God, not with you and me. I, I think most of us hit a time in our lives when we struggle to find meaning and purpose. And for some that gets called a midlife crisis. And some like to have them early. Some like to have them a bit later and some like to have them always. But if that points you to the one who created you, who's made you, then I reckon that's been a good crisis. Well, I'm going to leave it for today. Um, reminding us that God has created us ultimately to worship him. That God is God. And we are not. So let's get to know God and treat him as God and enjoy the privileges that come from that. Thank you.